What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? I'm glad you asked. They're the inventors of the Skybox Interval, Skybox Matrix Interval. One of these days, I'm going to be Johnny One Take and get that correct. It's an advanced modeling mechanism that's been refined through years of wisdom and experience that has propelled Skybox to become the best sports handicapping site in the industry. You should go check these guys. They know what they're doing. March Madness is, is it culminates this weekend. Go check out their final four picks. Their national title is still national title pick is still in the tournament. These guys are transitioning to baseball season. They're crushing it on NASCAR. For those of you who are kind of unfamiliar, maybe wanting to dive in the NASCAR gambling waters, I'm going to try to get their guy on to kind of explain what he looks for. Not give away all the secrets. You should pay for the package to do that. Um, but I want him to kind of explain NASCAR uh, to us idiots on the podcast and see, kind of get his wisdom on how that works. Cause I'm kind of interested in it. I kind of made this, this point one time that I was going to get into it during quarantine when it came back with the iRacing and all of that never happened as, as was happens with like 50% of my ideas. But anyway, going to get him on, but you should check them out. They're up a ton of units. They were up like 14 units one weekend to go in nascar you should check them out there they've got packages for you you can buy a daily pass how why not buy a daily pass at minimum this weekend for the final florida games just see how it goes i guarantee they're going to profit just think of it as juice it's 10 bucks and with my promo code you put in promo code rippy 20 percent off all picks it'll be eight bucks just like the juice on a single bet basically depending on uh, how much how much you're betting they've got a march madness package it's been kind of winding down you can buy a full season in nascar buy a full season in any sport they've got baseball season come up you can buy a full year passes i would recommend you can do weekly packages pretty much any sort of package that fits your price range and you're comfortable i promise you they have one you can go for a month four week all sports package check those guys out skybox sports picks Com. Happy to have them on board the podcast. Podcast brought to you also by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Y'all don't need an intro. LB's Greg is on the show today. We got a ton of good stuff coming down the pipe. Greg helped me answer mailbag questions. He had a grill corner at the end of the podcast that is worth your time. Greg carried the podcast today. I think the grill corner is one of the better segments we've done, and it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, people just kind of started asking me mailbag questions once they heard Greg was on. And I uh, started asking grilling questions. We might turn that into a regular segment. I would encourage you guys to go check that out, though. It is better than any stupid shit that came out of my mouth during this show. So uh, tune in. We've got a lot to get to today. Off the top, I'm actually going to do some baseball thoughts solo. Colin and I will be doing a Sunday show. Uh, yeah, Sunday night. I'm going to start releasing it on Sunday night. Thanks to a listener tip for that one. So Colin and I will be back at it with a series recap on Sunday. But... I'm going to do my first ever like solo podcast bit. All of the years doing podcasts, I have never uh, never done a solo bit. But I'm going to give you through some uh, some old missed thoughts that I had last night from their 4-1 to loss to Florida. So, a lot to get into today. Dive in. Buckle up. Let's go. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Friday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. This is another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. Happy Friday to everyone out there. It is Mailbag Friday. It is the people's holiday. I guess in some circles, it might be known as Good Friday, as uh, it is Easter weekend. Hope maybe you're in the car, maybe you're traveling. I appreciate you tuning in. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, uh, hopefully we can get cut off an hour of the drive, entertain you for a while. Appreciate everyone tuning in. A little bit different Mailbag Friday show today. As I mentioned at the top, we've got LB's Greg on. He's going to come on in a minute. 
and discuss some mailbag questions and had a really awesome grill corner. If you're into grilling and, and grilling meats, Greg gave some really awesome insight on a lot of questions. I think I'm going to turn this into a regular segment if the feedback is good. So if you get to the grill corner and you liked it, reach out, tell me, um, because if it's popular, we're definitely going to keep it around. But off the top of the show, I wanted to get into some solo Ole Miss baseball thoughts, and I don't want to dive too deeply into it because Colin and I are going to recap the whole series on Sunday. But with the kind of weirdness that was with last night's game, I got tons of texts from people about Florida using the opener and, and thoughts on that and this Kevin O'Sullivan, the, the greatest genius that's ever graced college baseball. Uh, you know, Ole Miss just didn't play well last night. The final box score said they had two errors. For anyone that's privy to how college baseball scoring works, generous at best can be changed after the fact I actually think there was a point where they had three errors last night and one of them has since been changed uh kind of to my point Ole Miss made about four or five gaffes in the field last night that cost them runs I, I you could make an argument that three of Florida's four runs directly uh, were for fed by errors the errors directly led to three of Florida's four runs I guess I should say Ole Miss just really didn't play well last night and it's it's if you're kind of looking for dents in the armor with this team, I would, I would off the top of my head without looking this up, I believe Ole Miss has only scored one run off of Friday night starters this year, and I think it came last night, and it technically wasn't even the starter. Uh, as we'll get into in a second, Florida decides to use an opener, so Tommy Mace, their Friday night guy, does not come in until the what? I guess he came in in the fifth inning. They went with Allman or Ailman, excuse me, for the first three innings, he goes to four shutout, allows an unearned run. I say four shutout. He allows one unearned run on three hits, was pretty dominant. And then Tommy Mace comes in and gives up one hit over five innings and just dominates the game and finishes it off. We'll get to that strategy in a second. But my point being, I guess, if you're kind of looking for for dents in the armor with this team, it's one, defensively, they've had far too many games this season where they've just had a bunch of defensive lapses and they kind of kick it around almost bad news bear style. I, look, I get Tim Elko's playing out of position at first base. Justin Bench is still getting used to third, but you know, TJ McCants doesn't come up with the diving catch that allowed the first run to score. Okay, fine. But you know, he's in the outfield there to kind of be a plus defender. I'm not putting that one necessarily on him, but he had one really costly one later in the game where he misplays a ball that should have been a single. It ends up getting into the gap and Florida gets a couple runs on that one to really kind of put the game away after it became two to one, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of defensive lapses, you know, Chatagne, the run scores when he can't handle a hot shot, like they're tougher plays. But, you know, good defensive teams are going to make them. And there was a couple of, like, really bad actual errors that they couldn't change uh, by college baseball standards um, in that game as well. So they had two college baseball errors, and I would say about four or five professional errors would be, I guess, the way I'd categorize that. And it wasn't a strong night for them defensively. And there's been a couple of games like that this year. And look, it happens. It's baseball. It's their first loss in SEC play. I'm not overreacting to the loss per se. But if you're looking for kind of, kind of like I keep saying dents in the armor you know places where this team's got to short things up defensively is one of them because if you have one bad day like that in June it, your season could be done you're going home and the other part of that which is the start thought I started with I believe before I kind of got sidetracked into the defensive part if I'm not mistaken Ole Miss has only scored one run off of a start Friday night starter this year or game one starter or however you want to phrase it because I know they played on Thursdays this year but I uh, you, you kind of get my point there so they played what we – Ole Miss opened SEC play against Auburn. They win the 1-0 game 
with the uh, Calvin Harris home run in the eighth. But Cody Greenhill pitches seven shutout innings, allows four hits, and Ole Miss gets into the bullpen. They have really just the one solo shot that wins them the game. They pitch masterfully. And then the next week, they go to Alabama, and the Dylan, uh, not the Dylan, uh, excuse me, Tyler Rass allows one earned run on five hits over six innings. So Ole Miss has scored two runs off of starters this year, but it's really just one because Tommy Mace is actually Florida's starter, and he pitches five shutout innings, five one-hit innings, seven strikeouts. So he just dominates Ole Miss. Ole Miss does score the one earn on unearned run off Elman, the actual starter for Florida last night. So if you're kind of looking for cause concern, look, it's Friday nights in this league. It's tough to score runs. You know you're gonna have to win a lot of two run, you know, two, three, three, two, four, three, two to one ball games because of what the pitching is, particularly at the top half of this league. And everybody's got a guy, right? Everyone has a guy in this league that can go six innings and get you that. The difference between you know the bad teams and the good teams is what you do on Saturday and Sunday and the strength of your bullpen, and how well you hit the baseball. I kind of just covered the gauntlet there. But, you know, Ole Miss off of real SEC starters has scored one run in that's combined 13, 18 innings. Ole Miss has scored one run off of opposing aces in SEC point 18 innings. That's, uh, that's not great. But, again, it's tough. It's hard to hit in this league, particularly against the top arms. But that's a, that's a number that needs to improve. Like, you need to be able to get two to three runs off of anyone's Friday guy. So, some way to muster it, give your starter kind of a little bit of leg up, and then allow your bullpen to preserve it. So, they've been a little fortunate in that regard to only have lost one opener, and that being last night, despite the way that's gone. Now, Let's get to the storyline everyone is talking about here today, and it's Florida's use of the quote-unquote opener, if you want to call it that. What is an opener, you ask? I think most everyone listening to this podcast is aware of what an opener is, but for the sake of clarity, I will uh, I'll expound on that a little bit. Maybe some of our newer listeners, friends listeners, I don't know. You're all welcome here on this show. But an opener is something that was made famous by the 2018 Tampa Bay Rays. So what do you do with an opener? Well, Kevin Cash, the manager of the Rays, looked at the opposing Angels lineup and thought, man, I have to get Shohei Otani and Mike Trout out four times. What's the best way to do that without falling behind in the game? Well, how about I throw a bullpen guy out there? He gets through the lineup one time, or at least just gets through those first four or five hitters one time, and then then my starter comes in. What about that? Big brain stuff. All the old curmudgeon baseball announcers that make fun of launch angle and everything, their brains probably broke, but it worked. And the Rays kind of made that famous, and they used it throughout that year when they needed to. A couple other teams kind of dove dove into the – I say stuck their foot in the water, but didn't dive fully into it. Never fully made it, I would say, quote-unquote, mainstream. I think you'll still see it a couple times in uh, Major League Baseball this year. But the Rays kind of made that famous. So the idea is to get through an opposing team's toughest hitters or just get through the lineup one time and then have your starter come in in the second, third inning, whatever the case may be, and, you know, maybe finish off the game, maybe hand the ball straight to your closer. It's really just kind of putting your normal pitching strategy, if the game goes according to strategy, out of order. You know, you get a harder-throwing guy who's not knows he's not going through the lineup a second time. Uh, that changes the mindset. So that's really – it's really kind of throw opposing lineups off, particularly if they're uh, particularly potent at the top of the order. So that's what we thought Florida was going to do last night, right? So you see the report on Wednesday night that – Jack Lefwich and Tommy Mace will not start for Florida this weekend. And those are guys that have been in their rotation since 2019. So that's 
really the equivalent. I think Doug and Gunner are a better combo. Ironically enough, Doug and Gunner are both Florida kids. But that would essentially just be like Mike Bianco saying, you know what, after, uh, after one bad start, you know, South Carolina sweeps Florida last weekend, we're going to change it up and we're going to take them out of the rotation. I thought it was an odd move. At first, I thought it was COVID. You know, it kind of leaked out later that it was not COVID. He was just making a change. You know, next thought, next theory, as I outlined in yesterday's newsletter, okay, maybe they're going to go with an opener strategy, which I guess leads me to my point that did he really do an opener strategy? Because the idea of the opener is, to, like I said, get through the lineup once, kind of ease into the game, and then have your starter come in um, you know, in the fourth inning, third inning, whatever, and it be the first time the opposing lineup sees him. But that's not really what happened last night. The Ailman kid pitches so well that he goes through the lineup, most through him one time. He gives up, what, the one earn earn run in the second inning? So Florida scores in the first, Ole Miss answers in the second. But, or no, is that right? Now I've got my, all my box scores uh, out of whack here. Yeah, so Ole Miss scores an unearned run in the third, excuse me. So Florida scores in the first, Ole Miss answers in the third. But then he leaves, he leaves him in. So this kid faces a lineup a second time. He faced, let's see, 15 batters total. So he basically made it a time and a half through the order. He goes through the first nine batters and – then one through six again, and Mace comes into the fifth inning to face seven, eight, nine in the old Miss order, which honestly may have been the most ingenious strategy in, in its own right. Was that a game time decision by O'Sullivan to where you know the kid was just kind of mowing guys down, and he's going to hold Mace until until there's trouble? To where the original plan may have been to get him through the lineup one time and then bring Mace in in the third. I don't know. I'm not privy to Kevin O'Sullivan's thinking. I will give him credit. It worked. But it wasn't this revolutionary opener strategy that everyone is making it out to be. This kid went four innings, and he was really good. And then he brings in Tommy Mason for the fifth, and basically he's like, hey, if you go five innings, you finish this game. This game's over. Maybe that mindset helped Tommy Mace after having a rough outing last week. I don't really know. I kind of found it odd that he would want to disrupt his starter's rhythm after one bad start because Tommy Mace is a guy that's been a weekend starter, like I said, since the beginning of the 2019 season. So all of a sudden you get roughed up one time at South Carolina and you're going to bring him in in the fifth inning? Like the, Maybe, again, he's more privy to Tommy Mace's thinking than I am, that being Kevin O'Sullivan. But I just thought it was a weird move. But it worked. But that gets me to the, my larger point is, is I get six, seven texts last night immediately after the game ends. It's like, Florida's manager's a genius. Like, you know, he, he, she shut Ole Miss down. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. It worked. I think this is a classic case of just because something worked doesn't mean it's necessarily revolutionary. What is the difference between this and, a, you know, Doug Nikhazy going five last weekend and then the bullpen finishing it off, right? It's one more inning. It's three more outs. Like the, the ailment, Allman, I can't remember. I couldn't – the announcers were killing me with that last night. It was really, really good. And so he had a really good start. Like he was one inning from, you know, officially registering for a win by major league standards. I think he was credited with the win. Cause again, this is college baseball, but he was just really, really good. And then you bring the starter in and maybe, you know, that helped Mesa's mindset. Maybe it was, okay, I'm out here in the fifth. I don't have to worry about this bullpen behind me. If I do my job for five innings, this game is over. Maybe that mindset helped him. I don't know. It sure as hell looked like it did. Hell, the kid allowed one hit over five innings, struck out seven batters, and walked two guys. Ole Miss didn't really stand a chance. Now, there's an argument to be made about Ole Miss's approach at the plate and that contributing to it, and you've seen that kind of rear its ugly head uh, quite a few times over the uh, first three weekends of SEC play and really before that. 
But be that as it may, Tommy Mace was really good. And it's funny, he was credited with a five-inning save last night, which I found humorous uh, just because, you know, a Friday night guy in this league goes five innings and gets rewarded with the save. But I guess my overall larger point here, because you're going to see it again today. They're doing it again today with Jack Leftwich. I forget the kid's name off the top of my head that they're throwing, but he's one of their top bullpen arms, and uh, Jack Leftwich is going to come in relief. He's their Saturday guy. He actually is probably a worse matchup than Tommy Mace would have been for Ole Miss. Sorry to uh, sorry, sorry for the negative vibes there for any of you hoping for a better day today. Again, it's baseball. Anything could happen. But just on paper, he's a worse matchup for Ole Miss. So they're going to go with Christian Scott, one of their top relievers. Excuse me, top relievers. I can't talk today. And then bring Jack Leftwich in. If all things go well, I think you're going to see the same thing. Christian Scott is going to pitch three, four innings, depending on what he's doing. And then they're going to see if Leftwich can finish the game. And again, I guess what I'm trying to articulate here is just because it works doesn't make it revolutionary. I don't think he broke Ole Miss by doing this strategy. I think it was effective. I think it helped Tommy Mace's mindset. But if Christian Scott goes out there today and Ole Miss lights him up for five runs and then you bring Jack Leftwich in down four to one in the second inning, is he a genius now? I would argue no, because that's not a position you want to be in. And now you have your probably most talented arm on the staff in Leftwich. I think he's got a little bit better stuff than Mace down four to one instead of just letting him start the game. Like, I, I just, is he a genius there? Again, no. So I would say hold your horses on this. Like, please don't get on the message boards and ask Mike Bianco to try this. <laughs> Chase Farm and I actually had a debate one time when the Rays started doing this is we asked Mike what an opener was if he would actually know what that is or if he would think we were talking about a different sport. So I don't think you're going to see this from Ole Miss sometime. I don't think this is about to be something that revolutionizes college baseball. I think Kevin O'Sullivan, to his credit, did something that worked. Is it going to work again today, this being Friday? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. If it does it again, credit to him. But again, that doesn't make it some revolutionary thing that everyone should adopt immediately and Ole Miss now has some problem and you're going to see – every other team will miss plays on the schedule for the remaining 20 games or whatever Ole Miss has left in the schedule, you're going to see an opener because guess who doesn't need an opener Vanderbilt guess who doesn't need an opener, Uh, you know, Arkansas. Like, I just don't think you're going to see this. This was an interesting quirk. It worked. I would like to see more of it before I declare this some revolutionary phenomenon that uh, Kevin O'Sullivan should win a Nobel peace prize for Um, before I would like to get further into this, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't have a better way to articulate that. It worked last night. Ole Miss also didn't play well last night. Ole Miss made, again, four errors, didn't help Gunnar Hoagland out at all, and kind of contributed to that with pretty poor approach at the plate. So, again, just because it worked doesn't make it revolutionary, but that does also doesn't mean it wasn't smart. Like, multiple things can be true about this at one time. So, I would be interested to see what Christian Scott does today. Again, does Ole Miss jump on him for two runs early, and then you bring Leftwich down, you know, three to one in the third? That doesn't seem smart to me. I'd probably just rather have the guy uh, who throws, you know, 95 with a pretty good breaking ball uh, start out the game instead of, you know, Christian Scott. But who knows? And the other part of this is why in the hell, if you're doing this and it's so effective and it's working, why would you not do it with the kid on Sunday, Hunter Barco, who, if you read the newsletter on Thursday, I equated to 2019 Gunnar Hoagland, not in style of pitcher, but in terms of where he is in his career. Barco's a wildly talented kid. He's a COVID freshman. He's a kid that's going to be part of their weekend rotation for years to come, but the stuff hasn't been there and the results haven't been there enough to trust him to go win a baseball game if you absolutely had to. It's kind of what Gunner was on Sunday, right? He was in 2019. You know, you had no better option. You knew this kid was talented. You knew he was a first-round pick, but it hadn't come together yet. 
that's how I would describe Hunter Barco. Now I say that and he's going to go throw eight shutout innings and people are going to send me mean stuff on the internet, but it's still true. So if this strategy is so effective, why would you not use it on the kid that you trust the least? Like that's the part that I don't understand. Is it last night? Was it any different? What if, I mean, what if Mace had gone five innings and then this kid lights out Franco Alman, Alman, however you say it, comes in in relief and goes four and finishes off the game just because he's a really good reliever. What's the difference? Is it really that big of a difference? Again, it worked, but is it revolutionary? I don't know the answer to that. I'm leaving the possibility open that it becomes some revolutionary thing that they use all year and they win 21 games in this league and everyone hails him as the greatest genius of all time. I just want to see more of it. It worked last night because Ole Miss kind of contributed to the cause. They had a terrible approach at the plate. So that being said, those are my thoughts on the opener. Not discounting it, not saying it's not smart, but it was also not used like a traditional major league opener. He was basically just a reliever that was really good and then paved way to the starter as opposed to the starter being really good and paving way to the reliever. Well, again, one last thought. What happens if Mace goes seven last night or eight, Franco goes one, and then you go to the closer and Franco, Allman, and your closer are available tomorrow. So is it really that much smarter? I don't know. It worked. So credit to Kevin Sullivan. I'm going to put this point to bed. Last couple of thoughts on this game last night before we get to the mailbag was, uh, you know, again, sloppy defensive performance. I thought Gunner was actually pretty good. You know, the radar gun on the broadcast stopped working early on in the game. I didn't really understand that. But Gunner was at like 89-ish with his fastball early in the game. I didn't think that was a great sign. It was also uncharacteristically cold in Gainesville. I don't think if they had shown the stands, you'd see too many pairs of jorts because it was 55 degrees outside. So is that played into it a little bit? Did he uptick as he got more settled in the game? Again, I don't know because I couldn't fit consistently find the gun, but I thought Gunner's slider worked pretty well last night. He got into some trouble early. He threw a disgusting slider to, was it Judd Fabian? I can't remember. Whatever the strikeout was after the double to kind of help him almost escape. I know he ended up giving up the run, but that was a nasty pitch. I thought his stuff was pretty good. What, he ends up walking... Three guys, five strikeouts, so not his best stuff. Gives up two runs, one earned over four hits and six innings. Guess what? That's not elite Friday night stuff, but that is exactly what you would take 10 times out of 10 every week from your guy to set up the rest of your bullpen and win a baseball game. But his defense failed him behind him, and that is why Ole Miss, I think, lost the baseball game last night. Again, the other part of that is the defense. And then the, I guess my final point to hammer home is they haven't been very good against opposing Friday night guys this year. Um, whether you want to count that as Mace or the reliever that started the game, they haven't been very good against another team's best pitcher. And, you know, that kind of calls into question, what do you do about right field? Hayden Leatherwood did have one of Ole Miss's four hits last night, but he hasn't been getting it done at the plate. Do you see more of John Rice Plumley? What is the answer at DH? That's a mailbag question I answer later in the show. You probably need some version of the floor or Kale Baker to come back and really kind of solidify that spot because you know, Van Cleve goes 0 for 3 again. He's not really getting it done. I don't think Mike Bianco trusts Calvin Harris unless it's a matchup situation fully to just bat him every day. Um, and maybe you put in Leatherwood. Maybe if he doesn't have to go out on the field and one last thing to think about, that kind of opens up his mind. I don't really know. But I would bet on if you're really trying to solve this designated hitter spot and kind of give yourself a little more uh, oomph, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase, towards the middle or bottom of the lineup. I think you're hoping on Kale Baker or Trey LaFleur to come back and realize their full potential at the plate. I would, you know, if you're making me wager, I would wager it on the floor, but he's got mono. And I don't know how that affects him both as a hitter and really just his health wise. You know what I mean? Even when you, I've never had mono, I don't get sick. I have an elite immune system. 
But I've heard it kind of kicks your ass. And I don't know even when he comes back if he's going to be himself for a while. So is it fair to ask him to come in in the heat of an SEC season, in the heat of his SEC West division race, and just say, hey, can you hit 300 with us with you know five, six bombs down the stretch? I don't think you're going to get that. I think it's going to be a revolving door at DH uh, throughout the year. But you also need the top of your lineup to be better. You need you know, Justin Bench, Kevin Graham, and Tim Elko to be better than two for 12. You know, even behind him, you need Hayden Dunhurst, Jacob Gonzalez, and Ben Van Cleef to be better than 0 for 9. You need more consistency, and you need more guys on base, and you need better and more quality at bats on a more consistent basis against the better pitchers. Ole Miss has shown when dudes are walking left and right and, you know, they're not chasing balls, they can really do damage. But what happens when the opposing pitchers, you know, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, and they're not giving you anything? That's an extreme example. But... um you know, that's, that's kind of the way it goes in this league. That separates the good teams from the great teams. And right now, Ole Miss is not a great team offensively at the plate. They've been good and really good at times this year, but their inconsistency with, inconsistency with their approach and their inability to hit the top guys in the league so far, young sample size, three series into this thing, um, is, is not, has not been great. But at the same time, Ole Miss is 6-1 and one in the SEC. If you pick off one game this weekend and you enter Florida – or excuse me, you enter the Arkansas series at 7-2, and two, you're in great shape. That's the beauty of a sweep. I still think Ole Miss could back into this thing. If Doug Nikhazy gives you a special outing on Friday – and uh, Friday being today, obviously – I think you go into Sunday with the advantage or Saturday. I can't get the days right with this Thursday, Saturday stuff. But you go into the advantage with Derek Diamond. And the bullpen's pretty much intact, right? You didn't use Taylor Broadway. I thought that was smart of Mike Bianco. Tyler Myers goes an inning. I, they don't have his pitch count up, which is annoying. But, hell, he only faced four batters. I imagine he's available. And then Josh Mallett, who, credit to him, did a pretty good job of giving Ole Miss a chance later. You uh, pitches a clean eighth inning. Basically, your bullpen's still intact. So, yeah, you lost the game. Yeah, you didn't play well okay, go back out and try it again tomorrow. You know, that's the beauty of this and, and the beauty of the mindset of being 6-0 and versus, you know, 2-4 and four coming to this point and really needing a series win uh, with Arkansas staring down the pipe. That's, that's the beauty of a good start, and Ole Miss has very earned that. And, you know, I'm, I've kind of, like, dumped on them, I feel like, for this entire segment. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it kind of comes with the territory when you lose. But I think Ole Miss is fine. I think they'll probably win today, even though I don't love the matchup with Leftwich. And I think they'll have a chance to win the series on Sunday. And then no one is going to give a damn about the Friday loss when Ole Miss is 8-1. and one. So those are my thoughts on the game last night. Just kind of keep an eye on the whole fact that they're not really hitting a team's opposing aces very well. And they're kicking the ball around like the Bad News Bears. And Mike uh, – Bullermaker, Wanamaker, whatever the guy's name in Bad News Bears, Bianco was probably not happy about it. But back at it today, I don't know off the top of my head the first time, I'm first pitch time, I'm in full Easter mode. I'll be watching. But anyway, let's get to Mailbag Friday with Greg. I think we've done enough baseball. This was my first solo podcast segment, so if it sucked, don't say anything. If it was good, I'd appreciate some feedback. Maybe I'll do more of it in the future. But with that being said, let's get to Mailbag Friday. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones, making his triumphant return after our March Madness picks. Damn it, I, you know what I just now thought of? I should have figured out how our bracket shook out, but that's okay. I don't think they were good enough that anyone needed to know. Um, we're going to talk yeah, some no, drilling. I had, yeah, baseball. I think I had – yeah, we had Illinois. I had Illinois and I think Florida State. So, yeah, we're, I think I'm done on that. I had three of the four final four teams. I had Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston. I had Florida State, which didn't really work out. But the, everything in between was not good. Like, even with three of the four final four teams, my bracket was not good. 
I actually have your bracket because I submitted it on my ESPN account by accident instead of my own. So whatever picks yours was actually doing pretty good for a while, dude. Um, oh, you were yeah. Top 90 percentile. I think the sweet 16 kind of got both of us, but uh, what's been happening by the way, you just had a birthday. Yeah, I did. I uh, had a birthday Wednesday and uh, 25. Yeah, I was, what's that? 25. Yeah. I just 26, but I mean, who's counting? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, actually, I uh, had a birthday present. I had a uh, one of my horses break her maiden on my birthday, so that was kind of a special thing. So, uh, yeah, no, just, uh, you know, steadily uh, grinding at LBs, keeping the store stocked up, and, uh, you know, baseball season is in full tilt. So, yeah, uh, we're doing good around around those parts. Absolutely. Well, this is Mailbag Friday. This is the people's holiday. However, you may be celebrating today. Maybe you're in the car. Who knows? Uh, some might refer to it as Good Friday, but you know, whatever, whatever you choose to believe. I choose to believe it's Mailbag Friday. I'd like we had a Mailbag Sunday the other day, and Colin is accusing me of uh, casting a war on religion. So <laughs> <laughs> we got a bunch of stuff to get to today. We had a bunch of grilling questions without uh, without even me really asking. I, I tagged you on Twitter and said we were going to do this Mailbag Friday podcast. And naturally, the meat question started rolling in. Uh, before we get to that, what's going on at the store? I know the subscribers have got the uh, the ten dollar prime strip special going on. What's uh? You mentioned a couple other things there today. Some lamb. What what's going on? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's Easter um, Easter weekend, so that's the only time people eat lamb. It seems like so. Um, got a lot of racks of lamb and lamb chops. I've got some leg of lamb. And uh, Zach's going to make a, uh, a lamb sausage uh, today. So, uh, yeah, you know, just Easter's uh, full of lamb. And uh, so, yeah, we've got plenty of lamb. Zach made some boudin also. So we've got some fresh boudin in the house. And, uh, yeah, just uh, pretty basic stuff. Um, we still got plenty of uh, uh, sausage in the freezer and got plenty of those $10 uh, strip steak specials uh, for the – for the uh, for the subscribers so yeah um just um yeah it's just you know slowly but surely grinding away i didn't uh, this is gonna sound dumb but easter is a lamb holiday easter is a lamb holiday it is is that some sort of biblical passage i don't know what is what's to do with easter and lamb um you know i don't know if it's a biblical passage uh but i, I think uh it's just uh something that uh, everybody eats on Easter is lamb. So, I mean, but yeah, we've had a lot of people looking for lamb and uh, got plenty of lamb to sell for the weekend. We're uh, going to be closed on Sunday. Sunday. Sunday is Easter, and that is one of the uh, five holidays, uh, five days that LB's is uh, closed for the year. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's good to take a break every once in a while, but we'll be back open on Monday, uh, stocked up, ready to go. So there's no LB sanctioned Easter egg hunt where all the kids can come to your store and run around and break stuff and uh, search for eggs. Yeah, we're, we've run out of room. We put so many coolers and everything. We don't have enough room for the Easter egg hunt anymore. So uh, yes, we will probably we should we should do something like that as a, an annual LB's Easter egg hunt. I did. I coaxed you into one bad idea for so show. So we got that out of the way early. Let's uh. Yeah. Let's dive in. Let's dive into these questions. I'm going to try to separate them. I think we're going to have a separate grilling corner. So let's knock out some of these other questions, and then I'm going to fire some uh, some of the listeners' grilling questions at you as uh, kind of its own deal. That way, it flows a little better. Sounds good. All right, here we go. Let's see. First one we have today. Tim Peeler asks on Twitter, "Do we know when Trey Lafleur will be back? Also, what's the best option for the DA spot at this point? Van Cleve is not the answer." That's an interesting question. So, 
I think yeah. part of this is Trey LaFleur, I don't know when he's going to be back. I, Ole Miss, I'll tell you what, Ole Miss has some smart baseball fans. Everyone seems to be kind of in and in, in, in on the jokes. Because you remember, I don't know if you watched the Friday game, at, uh, the first game at Alabama last week, uh, but or listened to the announcers. They were pretty rough, and they didn't really have the uh, – I would say they didn't have the game notes squared away. They they diagnosed Kale Baker with mono, Peyton Chatagnier as being a first baseman. Did you catch all of this? Oh, yeah. Well, also, that's Alabama's football announcer, so I'm pretty sure I don't know how they got got him in uh, on the baseball coverage uh, for ESPN. But uh, I was just waiting for him to say, touchdown, Alabama, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that's their football announcer who's brutal. Yeah, he was uh, – he was. He's, I, I don't mind him on football. He was not locked in on baseball, and understandably so. Colin actually pointed that out to me on the Sunday podcast last week. I knew I'd recognize that voice, but I, this is going to sound dumb, but I swear you sound different on TV than you do on radio. And I was like, I knew I heard this guy from somewhere, but I couldn't recognize it. But be that as it may, he was not good. And yeah. you know, I replied no. to this guy's question last night, and I said, LaFleur will be back as soon as Baker is cured of mono. And he said, that must be the same day Chatagnier is set to start at first base. So, all this fans <laughs> dialed in. I thought that was, thought that was funny. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, uh, there's some missing pieces missing uh, right now with the reps. And, you know, uh, you can't complain about six and one in the SEC in the first seven games. I mean, you'll know that loss last night kind of hurt and there was some defensive uh, miscues. But, I mean, you know, the reps are going to be all right whenever, once everybody gets help, back and healthy. Yeah, I think it's a decent problem to have. They were not very good offensively last night. But, hey, they faced two good pitchers, and I kind of gave some old Miss baseball thoughts at the top of the show earlier this morning. And so, I, you know, I, I don't know about the opener thing. We could dive in. I'm sure someone asked a mailbag question about that. But they faced two pretty good pitchers last night. Van Cleve has struggled for a lot of the year. I don't know what the answer is at DH, to be honest, because at this point with the way Hayden Leatherwood is not hitting – I was about to say playing. The way he's not hitting, I guess, would be – better way to describe it I just wonder if you're about to see a ton more John Rice Plumley in right field because Plumley's going to give you better defense and the offense I don't mean to be like like I don't like this because it's going to sound like smart assery or or or, uh, or rude but like the offense is not going to get any worse with Plumley in there you know you're kind of concerned about him being a light hitting outfielder well you know, Hayden Leatherwood not that he should necessarily be cast aside is not getting it done. What he was last night, he was he had one for three last night. So he's one for three. Uh, probably should have had a second hit drop, not catching a break, but his numbers are not great on the year. So I just wonder, I don't know. I wonder if you move Plumley to the outfield, Leatherwood, maybe you DH him, give him one last thing to think about and kind of rotate he, Van Cleve, and Calvin Harris and just kind of see which one of them emerges. After that, I don't really know what else you do because if you look up and down the roster, there's not really another option that's like, some guy itching to get off the bench, I get off the bench to hit 300 for you and, you know, hit nine home runs or whatever the rest of the way. I just don't think they have that option. So I think it'll be a revolving door all year. But uh, I guess to underscore this guy's point, um, I don't think Ben Van Cleve is going to be an everyday starter. I just don't think that's a thing at this point. Yeah, with McCants, you know, stepping up in the lineup and, and you know, having that freshman of the week um, honor last week, I mean, you know, that's somebody that, uh, wasn't I mean unexpected? I wouldn't say unexpected, but it's a, a surprise uh, for the for the program for sure. You know, and he can play second to center field, to so it gives you some options. But I would think with you know you start with Plumlee, uh if he gets on base, he's a threat to steal. So I mean that's always a a thought in the back of a pitcher's mind. Um, you know, and he can you know throw and make a mistake there um, to a hit. So um, yeah, I, I don't see why not put Plumlee in there. 
Yeah, and you know, I guess I, I mentioned just a second ago, I'm kind of, I guess, contradicting myself. I said there's not really that guy to come off the bench and kind of itch to, to take, take hold of that DH spot. What they would actually need is Kale Baker or Trey LaFleur to get healthy and kind of reach their full potential hitting-wise. I guess that's really the answer for the best version of this team. Uh, but I don't know what – you know, Mono's a three-week thing at least, I guess. Um, I guess there's a possibility he could be back next weekend against Arkansas. I would bet it's one more week after that. But even when the floor is back, I, I've never had mono. Have you? Uh, no, I'm, 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 I haven't. I mean, I haven't been sick since 2009, so uh, I, I haven't had a lot of, uh, um, um, you know, mono or uh, flu-like sy- symptoms. So uh, no, I'm good on the mono. I'm, uh, I'll, uh, I'll just, um, I'll just believe what you say about it. That's what I'm saying. So I haven't had it either. I'm in the same boat as you. I don't get sick. They'll do studies about me when I'm gone in, you know, 200, 300 years, whatever. Um, when I finally die, but I don't get sick either. But I'm told mono is a real pain in the ass, and like it really wipes you out when you have it, and it, it's going to take you know it takes you a while to kind of feel like yourself again. So even when the floor does get back, kind of expecting him to step in in the heat of SEC play right around when you're getting to the halfway point and just start hitting, particularly when it wasn't quite coming together fully when he was there, he wasn't bad. It was just kind of inconsistent. Is probably uh, tough to expect. What they really need is Kale Baker to be a guy that hits the ball in the gaps and hits it over the fence. That's probably their best bet. Um, but I would say that's – long shot may be too strong of a word at this point, but between the injury and the way he was hitting beforehand, I would say it's a slim bet. Yeah, well, the lineup's, you know, always been different throughout the last seven games. So, um, he's trying his best to, you know, match and uh, and pick. But, you know, if uh, – just think if McCants and um, Gonzalez, you know, hadn't came out to the hot starts. I mean, there's no telling what the offense would have been like uh, for the first seven games without Baker and uh, LaFleur. Best non-live Ole Miss event you've ever – excuse me, I read that wrong. Best non-Ole Miss live event you've ever been to. I'm guessing he's just asking sporting event. This is Junior, Junior on Twitter. I don't understand the internet. Um, but best non-Ole Miss sporting event you've ever been to. Uh, you go first. You have is it horse racing? What uh, what do you got going on? Well, I mean, I went uh, I went to the '92 Sugar Bowl, the Alabama Miami game. Um, whenever uh, that um, I think it was, I don't, I forgot who it was. It was the uh, I mean, it was Gino Toretta and uh, Jay Barker. Um, so I would say uh, I would say that. I mean, a horse race would be up there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's uh. There's, uh, man, that's a good question, honestly. Uh, but yeah, uh, Ole Miss has always tried to involve them whenever I go to a sporting event. But I would say the '92 Sugar Bowl would uh, be up there. Uh, I went to uh, from '92 to 1980, uh, 1998. I went to seven Sugar Bowls in a row. So I got a couple of uh, Florida, Florida State game matchups. The um, the 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 rematch um, Sugar Bowl. So. Um, I would say, you know, that span from 92 to 98 um, Sugar Bowls uh, with the Florida-Florida State matchups and the Miami-Alabama uh, 92 matchup would probably be my probably be my uh, one that I would have to put a feather in. That's particularly impressive you were at the 92 Sugar Bowl with only being 25 years old. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it was just uh, – I was – yeah. That's <laughs> uh, pretty awkward, but, yeah, I was there. <laughs> That's a good one you pulled out of the bag there. I don't know. I guess I don't know what I was expecting when you answered that, but that's a uh, that's kind of an all timer. How did you? How did you like? How'd you end up at that game? 
my mom, uh, my godfather was on the Sugar Bowl committee, and my mom had the option of uh, taking a Christmas bonus or taking uh, her son to the Sugar Bowl. So she uh, chose the Sugar Bowl tickets, and I got to go to the Sugar Bowl for, uh, like I said, for se- seven in a row. I saw. Like I said, the Florida, I saw two Florida, Florida State matchups. I saw the Alabama, Miami. I saw uh, Virginia Tech in Texas. Jim Drunkenmiller was the quarterback for Virginia Tech. I know that's a random um, sports athlete uh, name, but um, but yeah, uh, it was pretty cool. The last one I went to was um, Ohio State and Texas A&M in '98. In so. Um, yeah, some, you know, ra- uh, random games, but, uh, you know, who can't complain about not going to the Sugar Bowl uh, for seven years in a row? No, that's awesome. Mom of the year material, too, by the way, making that uh, making that power move decision. That's pretty awesome because even if you're – it would almost be better in a weird sense to not have a dog in the fight because you're just soaking in the atmosphere and everything that comes with it instead of just being nervous as hell as to whether your team is going to lose or not. Yeah, I mean, I remember that Geno Toretta Miami team. I mean, they were, you know, they were pretty, pretty strong and uh, just didn't, you know, uh, just I saw them. Remember the guys that would dress up and uh, and suit and they would have a toilet paper and a Tide box. Like I sat next to those guys. Um, the, the ro- <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. That might be a little before yeah, my pretty- time because I, like you, am only 25. I guess I'm 26 now. Shit. <laughs> Uh, that that didn't that backfired um but yeah that's uh that's pretty wild i don't have that very many good ones i've been to a decent amount of sporting events i just don't have that many that stick out as wild i was in the georgia dome in 2007 or whatever when the tornado hit you remember that oh yeah for sure yeah that was mississippi state right yeah so mississippi state was playing an overtime game against alabama and I was like, I guess I was like 12, 13 years old. And like, that was what we used to do with our spring break every year is my dad would take us. My mom, I'm sure loved this, but my dad and my two brothers, we'd all go to the SEC basketball tournament, whether, I mean, that between back then it was rotating between like Atlanta, Nashville, New Orleans. I think one year it was in Tampa and it was still rotating around. So you could get to a different city every couple of years to kind of keep it, keep it moving uh, and see different stuff. And, we were there in 2007, and State and Alabama were playing that overtime game. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget this because the way the, the way the tornado blew the hole in the side of the building, it was on the side that wasn't being used. So the Georgia yeah. Dome obviously is so huge that they basically used half of it with some temporary stands and then curtain off the other half of it. But you can see behind the curtain. Like if you're going to get concessions or if you're in one, depending on where you sit, you can see the other side of the building. It's just not being used. And all of a sudden, those dudes are – on the court and you see this the scoreboard starts swaying back and forth you know that's a and that's not just like you know dropping a yo-yo up and down like that thing's pretty big like pretty heavy and it starts swaying back and forth and then all of a sudden we could like look up and all of a sudden you see this like hole being formed in the other side of the building it's like well that doesn't seem good like is this an attack like what is going on here and then the players started freaking out like a couple of them jumped over the bench and they all ran into the tunnel and before i knew what was going on and we were being evacuated I think I had to get outside the stadium before I knew that a tornado had just ripped through. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I, I, but I do remember that. And I, I, I just remembered, you know, I'm sitting here trying to think about all the non-Ole Miss uh, sporting events I went to. I went to the uh, Michigan-North Carolina Final Four game where Weber called the timeout. I just realized that, too. That was in uh, New Orleans. 
this question was made for you. <laughs> so, yeah, here I am. Pretty wild. Digging, you just, just keep dropping these. How did uh, how did yeah, you just, that one? Yeah, man. You know, my mom. You know, like I said, uh, I think uh, got you know final four tickets through through my godfather, and uh, you know just couldn't uh, couldn't pass it up. I remember um, you know the the uh, semifinal games were on Sunday, and the national championship game was on a Monday. And uh, everybody was looking for Greg in class on Monday, and uh, Greg was not there. He was at the Michigan-North Carolina National Championship game. But, yeah, uh, I remember that. That was, uh, that was in New Orleans and on a Monday. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, my mom of the year, you know, you know, pulling me out of school so I can get to go to a national championship uh, game in New Orleans is always, uh, is always a good thing to have going for you. Was your godfather the godfather? Where is he yanking these tickets? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was um, – I mean, he's uh, pretty well known in, in New Orleans. So, uh, yeah, he was always on uh, – he's also on the, uh, the uh, PGA Tour event down there. So, I, I, I literally pass up tickets every year because now that I'm uh, a small business owner, I don't get to, you know, just slide on down to New Orleans and hang out for the weekend and watch a bunch of PGA players uh, playing golf. That's pretty neat. So, yeah, Greg, uh, you had some way, way better ones yeah. than I did on that yeah. one. I, uh, I, the only thing I'll add to that was it was so odd when we finally got outside of the building. I'll never forget walking through downtown Atlanta, and you're looking at all these skyscrapers, and the glass is shattered out of all of them. Like this tornado yeah. had ripped all the glass out of these buildings, and in some cases, so they would the Georgia Convention Center is across the street from the Georgia Dome, and the tornado had basically ripped out all these glasses, like, you know, they'd broken up into shards. And in some cases, the shards had been shot back into the side of the building. So there's these gigantic shards of glass in the Georgia Convention Center, but you're walking through passing all these hotel rooms with no glass in them. And other than kind of hearing a little bit of a pop when something broke in the hole in the side of the Georgia Dome, I didn't know what was happening. Like, I didn't really ever feel like, oh, man, like we're, we're lucky to be here and all that. Like I was just like, okay, this sucks. The game's canceled. And then all of a sudden, it looks like a war zone. And I was like, what? What in the hell just happened? It was, it was bizarre. Yeah, I can only imagine being there for sure. Outside of that, I don't really have any good ones. The first day I was with the Reds, um, the Cubs and the Reds got in a bench-clearing brawl. That was interesting. Oh, yeah. um, have you gone to the Masters? No, I wish. That's on the, uh, on the bucket list. And to be completely fair, I haven't really tried that hard. I don't really know why. I just – I don't know. It's one of those things where I always just assume I do it later in life, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like yeah, because, to you know, because we've got about a hundred years, had a hundred more years to live, right? You know. Yeah, exactly. With the way we don't get sick, I mean, with advances in modern science and my high level income, it ain't crazy to think I could live to be two forty five, maybe three hundred. Um, Talladega Nights. I, 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 I will add one more thing. I, I watched. Uh, I went to uh, Yankee Stadium the final year that it was. They were playing games and saw the Detroit Tigers play the uh, the Yankees at the old Yankee Stadium before they tore it down. So um, I will say that the old Yankee Stadium was a dump, but you could tell that you know there was a bunch of uh, famous baseball players that played, and it just had that you know roar like just feel about it. So, um, but yeah, that's probably my last one uh, to mention on uh, famous places that are sporting events that are involved. That's a pretty solid one, too. Yeah, I don't have much else. I had another thing that happened when I was with the Reds. Daniel Ponce de Leon is a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he took a – I believe in spring training a couple of years ago, took a line drive to the head, and it was really scary. I think it almost killed him. 
And he came back from that, and in his first start back in the major leagues was in Cincinnati, and he took a no-hitter into the eighth or ninth. I can't remember how that played out. It didn't end up going coming to fruition, but uh, that was pretty cool. I got kicked out of the clubhouse one time when the D-backs had a players-only meeting after they lost to a really shitty Reds team. Uh, that was interesting. But outside of that, not uh, not too many uh, not too many crazy live sporting events that at least come to my knowledge. Let's see. If tonight's defensive fiasco, I was, if tonight's defensive performance was a showcase, what would you consider a fiasco? Uh, oh, he's referring to me at, in the mailbag question. I asked if you have questions about tonight's defensive showcase. I was being sarcastic. I think you know I was being sarcastic, so I will. Uh, I'll play. Yeah. I guess seven it, errors would be a fiasco at this point. I don't know. They uh, that was sloppy last night. Basically, three of Florida's four runs came directly off errors. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the, and you lose four to one. So I mean, you know, when you make mental mistakes like that, that's what costs you games. So we'll we'll come back this uh, today and uh, play a better ball ball game. Uh, Bianco is always a big fan of just whatever happens the uh, the night before. You know, throw it away and uh, you know start a new day. I think they will as well. But if you're asking, you know, this team is has has, has played so good, it played played so well, and you're kind of looking for weaknesses and flaws in this team and what could bring them down. I'll point out that one. You know, as good as they are, as complete as they are on the mound, they hit the ball pretty well for the most part. the uh, The defense is a concern. They've had three or four games this year where they've kind of just kicked it around like the bad news bears and like you know i know it's a different focus level and everything when you get to june and you get to the postseason but like you have one three error game like that in the postseason you lose four to one with i don't know if it was three unearned runs i haven't looked at the box score just because college baseball scoring is kind of a joke but like you basically have you give away three runs like so if you're looking for some dents in the armor that's where i would point to you know they've, they've got to clean that up that could potentially be a problem come june um you know Again, it's nitpicking just because this team has played so well for, for so much of the season, but that's definitely one because, again, you got one bad day in June defensively and uh, you could be toast. Well, it's baseball. So, I mean, you're going you're gonna to have games that, you know, you're not going to play uh, particularly well, but it's, you got to find those games that when you do play bad, you know, you find a way to win. But, you know, we, we're, we're talking about a team that, you know, they were talking about leaving Bianco and Rushton after the La Tech game and then, sweep the first two weekends in SEC play, you know. So, um, it just – it's baseball sometimes, you know. So, it just – it happens that way. Let's see. I'm skipping over the steak ones for now. We've, are you ready for a geography lesson? Yeah. I, I actually, that was my one strong spot at MRA. I actually kind of like geography as well. That and a little history I could do. You throw any sort of pluses or minuses in the equation and, and I'm out. But, um, let's see. What states do you consider the South? This is actually an interesting question for someone like me. I'm in Mississippi now for Easter weekend, but obviously I live in Texas now. I think most of you know that. Is Texas the South? No, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I think, uh, no, I mean, Texas is their own country, as, as they like to think. They love I mean, that, dude. I mean, dear God. I mean, pull it with the, the Texas they're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that uh, I would say Texas would not be considered the South because they think of themselves as their own country. So, um, you know, I, I guess that would be a solid answer for that question if you're asking me. Yeah. So, it, is it is it possible? This might sound dumb. Is it possible to be Southern but not the South? Like, obviously, Dallas, Houston, all that are kind of Southern-ish cities. Yeah, so, but yes, not the South yeah. is how I describe that. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, and all honestly for me on this is uh, the South would be Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Tennessee, and Arkansas. If Carolina. Yeah. yeah North. You can't put North Carolina in the South because they've got North in front of their name. So I, I would have to just have to stop at South Carolina. I just don't consider Florida really southern you know it's just a lot of people move there to retire and everything like that and i mean i would think just southern i mean i think florida would just be considered vacation instead of like south that's fair enough i'll go up to i'll consider virginia just because uh you know civil war yeah. i'm pretty sure the capital was there richmond i'll, I'll uh -huh. consider them kentucky's a an interesting one it's you go to parts of Kentucky, and I'm like, yeah, this is the South enough. You got the horse racing. You got all that. Like, it seems Southern enough. And then you go to other parts, it's like, yeah, I don't know. So, I'll, I'll be generous and lump Kentucky in. Uh, Missouri, yeah, I, I'm with you that doesn't count. Yeah, I'm with you on the Kentucky. I mean, uh, you know, Kentucky's pretty pretty Southern, but all the way to Virginia. I mean, you know, just the North Carolina just is, I guess, a package deal with the Carolinas. So, uh, so yeah, I guess that's my South. But. Uh, uh, yeah, te Texas is their own country, I think. Top five cities in the South is the uh, next question. Ooh, man, that's a good one, actually. Uh, I would say New Orleans uh, is, is going to be up there pretty solid. Um, you know, as far as Mississippi, I think Oxford's the best city in, in the uh, – in, in the uh, in the in, in Mississippi. I mean, you know, it seems like Oxford has a nice little bubble around it. And uh, so – uh, Birmingham's a nice uh, city. Um, Atlanta is always a solid one. Nashville's a solid one. Uh, I think, you know, Hot Springs, Arkansas, I've been going up there for a couple of uh, times. There's, it's a pretty good little t uh, town and a really good time with the, when the horses are running. Um, you know, Ch I think Chattanooga would be up there as far as it. But as far as top five, I would say New Orleans, Nashville, um, Atlanta, Birmingham, and I would put in uh, Charleston, South Carolina as my, as my uh, number five pick. I was wondering if you were going to add that in there. I've actually never been to Charleston, but, I mean, anyone, who talk, anyone who's ever been talks about it, and it's definitely in their top five. Mine would be similar. Nashville, New Orleans, Atlanta. Um, you know, if we're going, like, towns, like college-ish towns or, like, cities, I'll, uh, obviously Oxford would be in there. I enjoy Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas a lot, a lot more than other people would. Uh, I say a lot more than other people do. A lot more than other people give it credit for. I think it's a cool place. Athens, Georgia. Um, I kind of like Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been there twice, I guess, and I've enjoyed it. Um, here's a hot take for you. I like Atlanta better than Nashville. I mean, that's understandable. I've, you know, Nashville's just kind of an up-and-coming hot spot, it seems like, and Atlanta's always been there for sure. I enjoy Atlanta. People always complain, like, oh, Atlanta traffic. It's like, well, that happens everywhere you move. Like, I, I, I enjoy Atlanta. I have fun there every time I go. Places like – I know you think it's a big city, but then you get there and you're like, damn, this place really is huge. Like, it's – I don't – for whatever reason, I go to Atlanta and it's always, like, bigger than I even, like, thought. I don't really know how that even makes sense. So, I'd go with those three as the big ones. I'm trying to think what else. Is there anything else that sticks out? Not, not really. I would say it's those three. I like Charlotte. Um, Mobile, Mobile's pretty decent. It's a cool one. I actually thought Columbia, South Carolina was kind of neat. Granted, I spent yeah. the whole time in the downtown area by the basketball arena and the little strip of bars around there because um, I was there for the NCAA tournament. But I thought that place was kind of cool. 
Yeah, like I said, there's a bunch of hidden gems in the South that, you know, not everybody knows about. So that was uh, that was Geography Corner. Let's see. Which fast food restaurants have the best biscuit sandwiches? Uh, I would say Hardee's is probably a, a pretty solid. Uh, I would say Hardee's is definitely one or two. You know, I know I've, I've had the Wendy's. This is weird for me. I usually say sausage and biscuit, but it's a biscuit sandwich. I've never, never heard it called a biscuit sandwich before. I've never heard it called that before, but I think he was maybe the way he was wording the question was leaving room for like maybe some exotic ones. Like maybe it's part biscuit. You know what I mean? Like some weird, I think he was just kind of broadening the horizon there. If he calls it a biscuit sandwich, just pause the thing and stop listening. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I'm a uh, waffle house guy, you know, uh, uh, Egg, uh, uh, ham, egg, and cheese on a on a Texas toast with some hash browns can't go wrong with that. But as far as like pulling up to a uh, uh, a fast food spot and getting a, a really good solid biscuit that's always consistent every time, I think you're going to go with Hardee's on that one. So you went that whole time and never mentioned the Whataburger honey butter chicken biscuit. Well, I don't. We don't have a Whataburger up here. The closest Whataburgers I think is in Memphis. So I would, you know, if, uh, if I had a, if I had a Whataburger in this, in a, in a 30 minute radius, I think I would definitely say Whataburger with the, uh, Hardee's. I'm going to go Whataburger, Chick-fil-A, always a solid one. Um, yeah, Hardee's, I forgot about Hardee's is three, uh, at least two, three ish, whatever argument you want to make. I like Hardee's sausage and biscuit as well. Um, I mean, Popeye's back in the day, I used to have breakfast and man, it was, they had a chicken and biscuit, and they would put that white gravy on it, and it was so money every single time. Yeah, what so happened to that? I used to think of Popeyes as like a breakfast place, and now it's all like they've rebranded to like they're just spicy tenders or whatever. I know they have other stuff, but yeah, back in the day, Popeyes had a dank breakfast biscuit. What's up? Oh with yeah, it was. Remember the uh, Popeyes on Fortification on, in Jackson? They would. I would always. Uh, I would always stop there when I worked at Nevada Bob's, and you know, get that. Uh, just get, take that exit and, you know, go on the frontage road and get that Popeye's chicken and biscuit and then go to Nevada Bob's, which was right there where the Piccadilly is in Jackson, where the car wash thing. Absolutely. You worked at Nevada Bob's? I did. I bet, I he, I, I bet you – I bet you I, – I, I used to go in there all the time. I lived by there when I was a kid. I bet I went in there and raised hell one time and you had to clean shit up. Oh, well, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you know, when you work retail, you have to clean up a bunch of shit. So it is what it is. <laughs> then, uh, when, when were you working there? Is like a high school, college gig? No, uh, uh, I think it was uh, 2000 to 2002 or three. So um, I, uh, I was assist, uh, assistant golf pro at Lake Caroline from like 99 to 2000, a little past 2000. Man, it was just, everybody's like, oh, cool. You work at a golf course. I bet you get to play a lot of golf. And I'm like, no. I get to hit range balls, you know, like the, uh, one hour out of the day. So, uh, and of course I got to, uh, whenever I closed the shop up at like five, I'd get to play, you know, like an emergency nine or something like that. But, but yeah, I did the Lake Caroline thing for about two years and then did the Nevada Bob's golf thing for about three years. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you don't have a college education, you have to go to as many, uh, jobs that required, uh, not a college education so i did a bunch of retail uh through my through my time period so i've gone from uh golf pro to selling golf clubs to i uh 
worked at the old Venice right there at the uh, across the street from the bowling alley in Jackson. Yeah. And I, we worked that uh worked there for about four or five years and then went to the liquor store and then did that for about three or four years and then did some landscaping and then turned around and I owned a jewelry store for, for four years before I went to uh, Oxford and uh, uh, the soul shine pizza place got me to Oxford and then uh, kind of found out that it wasn't really, uh, really something that I could be living off a bartender uh, salary whenever I make 60 or 70 bucks and then turn around and spend 60 or 70 bucks at the library as I got off work. So I had to, I had to find some financial uh, security. So that's uh, when I took the job at LB's and, Learned the business at LB's for about a m- month, about two years, and turned around and uh, two years later, I bought the business, and here I am talking to you on a podcast. That is wild. I, the reason I asked if, if the Nevada Bobs was a college, high school job, whatever, I didn't know you were an assistant golf pro at one point. This is just – we had to revisit this just a whole other time. This has got to – like, we got to do Greg's career corner. <laughs> that is crazy. So you worked at Lake Caron. I didn't know you were in the uh, yeah. golf industry for a while. And then you sold golf clubs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, it was just, you know, it, it, uh, when you work at the golf course, it's tough because you have to be there at 6 a.m. and uh, get the store, you know, set up and everything like that. And you just start answering the phone. But uh, at the time, you know, Lake Caroline was pretty new and um, it was fun. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, it's a nice feather to have in the cap, but uh, I liked playing golf instead of uh, answering the phone and uh, booking tea time. So, kind of got out of that so that's why I kind of left the kind of left why I left Lake Caroline but yeah I've uh yeah there's no telling we could have a whole segment on uh Greg's uh Greg's career as a uh as a retail salesman I told myself if I ever bought if I ever had time to write a book um it it would be called fighting with thank you bags you know the thank you bag the plastic bag that you know uh, that you (laughs) I'd say fighting with thank you bags, the, the, the life story of a, you know, a retail salesman. So, um, but yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, I, uh, I, I wasn't the school type and, you know, while all my friends were at Ole Miss, you know, uh, hanging out and doing the college thing, I would be working and then I'd go up on the weekend and hang out with them and try to pretend like I was in college. School is for nerds. Um, that's wild. If you ever need a ghostwriter for that book, you already got the title. So uh, we could probably work something <laughs> out. We're going to do Greg's career corner, one of these podcasts. That is, uh, that's nuts. All right, here we go. If two mind readers are reading each other's minds, whose minds are they reading? Whoa. Wow. Um, I don't even think this needs to be answered. I think he was yeah. really just trying to break our brains. I wish we weren't recording this in the morning. We could have had some fun with that one. Oh yeah, I could have definitely said something about four or five beers deep for sure. Yeah, that's a uh, <laughs> good one though. Uh, we had another uh, another listener named Randy who really tries to break our brains with that one, and I believe Justin Bush might be trying to try to steal his thunder on that one. Uh, I would say they're reading their own minds. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's a mind? Honestly, it's a good point. What is a mind? You've ever thought about that? You know this whole thing we're all just in our minds none of this is real i was trying to i was trying to fire back with some brain breaking thing and it just didn't happen i need more coffee um so yeah i don't know i don't know where to go with that one here's a nice pivot here would you rather change sex every time you sneeze or breathe through your butt and fart through your mouth this is the other guy by the way in case you didn't couldn't pick that up man 
Uh, I mean, do I have to answer this? I mean, I know that we, you know, we're, we're, we're begging for questions to, to talk about on a podcast, but do I have to answer that, man? I'm just going to go breathe through the butt. The other one, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with staying a dude. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I'll breathe through the butt. That sounds good. Farting through the mouth would be tough. Um, anyway, there's a lot of directions it could go. There. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, the butt breather. Um, can't be much different than Eli mouth breathing. Um, let's see. How many more do we have before we get to? All right, it's grilling corner time. You ready? I think we knocked them all out. Yes, I'm ready for some from some stuff that I know that I'm what I can, I can talk about. First ever grilling corner with LB's Greg the Meat Sharp himself. I'll go first with just my a simple one, a nice one to way to start out from my radio colleague, former radio colleague Brian Haydad. What's your favorite cut of beef? Man, you know, that's a really good question because it just depends on, you know, what, what I'm uh, doing. Uh, if it's just me personally and I would like just to order something at a steakhouse and they have it, I would say the, the Wagyu Denver cut is, is one of my um, fa- uh, popular ones that I have that I like right now. Um, ribeye cap, I'm a big fan of the ribeye cap. Uh, it's the outer piece of the ribeye. Um, I'm a big fan of ribeye cap. You know, um, I just like kind of like exclusive cuts. I like tri-tip. If you've got a couple buddies and y'all want to eat some steak and just basically, you know, put something on the grill and and, uh, hang out, uh, tri-tip is a really awesome cut. You can go direct heat on each side. It's You know, it's probably about a one and a half to two pound cut. And you just basically char it on each side and then set it over the side on indirect heat and wait till it gets to about 125 to 130 or however you like your, your meat temperature, but you just slice it and eat it and, you know, just sit around and, you know, drink beer and just, you know, pick, you know, pick it, you know, pick off the, pick off the cutting board. So, but yeah, there's a lot of exclusive cuts. I would say the ribeye cap, the Denver, the Wagyu Denver cut, and then that tri-tip or the picanha. I don't know if you've had a picanha before. It's the top butt of the sirloin. Uh, that's what they uh, serve at, Texas Day Brazil, where they shave it off onto your plate. So that's another exclusive cut. So I would say uh, I would say those three cuts are are, are kind of up there pretty high. Great answer. The only thing I have to add to that would be you gave the heat of the pandemic. I was going to Texarkana to MC's parents' house, and I told you her dad's big into the sous vide. I'm pretty sure you gave me actually I'm not pretty sure. I know you gave me a tri tip to yeah. sous vide, and that thing was phenomenal. Yeah, and you know, like like I said, you could hang out and you know uh, eat off the cutting board, you know, or just take you know two or three bites and put it on a plate. But yeah, those tri tips are awesome. It's a really nice cut, and uh, not a lot of people know about the tri tips, so I uh, got to take advantage of those tri tips. And then the uh, you mentioned the Texas Day Brazil. I have, I guess, had that before. I had a hell of a night in twenty eight. 2017 whenever Ole Miss went to play Cal the uh, I went with the football staff I say football staff it was the athletic department to a Texas Day Brazil in downtown Oakland and uh, I'll just say the food wasn't the vocal point of the night we had a large time but uh, Texas Day Brazil pretty dank yeah I mean you just wait uh, they'll keep bringing it to you until you turn that thing up that, that card over to it says red that's uh, that's uh, how that works out yeah that was one of those mornings where you wake up and you look make sure there aren't any like wanted signs for you on the, on the walk to go get coffee. Um, that, was a, that was a large time. Best way to freeze, thaw and cook meat to maximize freshness. 
Well, um, that's one of the things that we do at LBs is we go ahead and, you know, process our, our product. We vacuum seal it up and then we put a cell date uh, by. Now, on that particular cell date, you just need to cook or freeze by that cell date. So uh, a lot of products, if you season products, say when it, we season a lot of our chicken breasts and our pork chops, I mean, that's just to give us an extra uh, five days to sell a product. Uh, whenever uh, you don't season a product, say whenever I cut a fresh bone-in pork chop, I only have about two to three days to sell that as is before I need to either put seasoning on it or I need to either cook it or freeze it. Um, you know, uh, there is a uh, short window when it comes to, you know, uh, handling products whenever it's not seasoned. But, uh, you know, that's why we do a lot of things that are $2 off in the freezer, just because, you know, there's nothing wrong with the product. The product's been handled properly. You know, you just need to uh, thaw it out in cold water and then just uh, make sure it's completely thawed out and then put it on your grill, put it in the oven or however you want. But uh, mostly unseasoned stuff. If you get, <clears throat> if you get a uh, pork chop, a fresh cut pork chop from LB's, we usually tell you that uh, the day that it needs to be cooked or frozen by. So uh, just need to keep an eye on your stuff that's not seasoned. With seasoned stuff, you have an additional time of uh, seven, uh, seven days versus two to three days. Interesting. So what is, you know, sous vide is big with the vacuum seal, right? Because you stick it in the water. Like what is the, yeah. what kind of explain the vacuum seal like on four? So when the vacuum seal is just basically just pulling out all the air to where it's it vacuum sealed it's tight to where it doesn't get freezer burned. So um, there's a lot of things that uh, uh, do get freezer burned because the bone uh, might have uh, punctured the bag and that's where you get freezer burned. There's nothing wrong with a freezer burn uh, uh, steak or product or anything, but it's just, you know, uh, you just got to, uh, you know, thaw it out. But whenever you're sous vide and stuff, a lot of people that, you know, say, for example, uh, want to go home and sous vide something, just vacuum seal it up and it takes all the, 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 uh, the air in it to where it stays, it stays solid. So I have a lot of people that just buy our frozen stuff and throw it straight in the sous vide and because it's cooking it to a certain temperature and then it, you finish it off on the grill. Interesting. Uh, let's see. We got another one coming down the pipe. Justin Bush is back again. He prefaces it with this one is more for Greg, just to basically tell me to sit at, sit this one out, chief. I appreciate that. <laughs> Big, <laughs> as, as if I needed to hand the baton to you for this question anyway. Big green eggs, Weber, is it Weber or Weber's? Weber. Weber or Traeger grills? Man, you know, they're, uh, that, that's, that's actually a pretty decent little question. I mean, you can't so, go wrong with, with any of them. I'll give you the – that's what I – so as someone who's an idiot and doesn't know any better, at least two of the three, they kind of serve different purposes, right? Yes, correct. Yes, you're definitely right on – spot on on that. Now, I know that Weber, I think, just came out with a pellet grill. So, but, um, you know, like I grew up um, cooking on a Weber, so uh, the big green egg and the Traeger is just, you know, kind of uh, new additions to the, uh, to the grilling family. Whenever you're dealing with something with the Traeger, I mean, you literally can click it on the temperature, you know, and it'll be there in no time. Um, that's, I would say, it kind of takes out the little bit of, uh, I don't know, man, you know, manship with, with, you know, preparing the grill. You know, you get the, the charcoal ready and you get, you know, you got to make sure the flame's coming out the top and everything. So 
Um, I would say Traeger is just the easy man's grill, and uh, the uh, which there's nothing wrong with that because don't get me wrong. I mean, who who doesn't want to just press a button and it goes to a temperature and you wait you know ten minutes and it's at that temperature. So uh, with the big green egg. You know, you still have that, you know, flame uh, kiss thing going. You know, you got to kind of start the fire. I've only cooked on a green egg once. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed, you know, pretty cool. And, it, you know, the concept's, you know, really neat. But it's just, man, I'm a Weber guy. I mean, I grew up, you know, just that basic circle Weber. You know, you literally get the charcoals going and hot and then dump all the charcoal on one side and where you have your direct heat side and your indirect heat side. So, um, I just, you know, in a perfect world, I would say that, you know, I, I, I stick to the Weber. I also have the grill that I have at my house is called the Lodge Grill. It's a uh, cast iron. Uh, it's basically a cast iron skillet grill that you is portable. So you can literally pick it up. It's about the size of, uh, I don't know, probably a little bit bigger than a shoebox. So that's the camping grill. And it's just an open flame. It's got the grates on top, and uh, but yeah, I would look up the Lodge Grill. It's a really good grill to uh, to have as long if you're just trying to. It's basically a grill that would be perfect for sous vide. You just get your sous vide to the right temperature, and then get your uh, your your Lodge up to hot and ready, and then just char it on each side for two minutes and be done. Is gas grill just kind of the easy, convenient way out? How does someone who grills a bunch view a gas grill? Yeah, I mean, you know, gas grills just, uh, you know, uh, the only thing about the gas grill is if you don't have a, you know, hook up to your house, you know, you run it off a propane tank and you go out to, you know, fire it up and it goes out of gas. You're like, oh, well, okay, well, so, but no, gas grill is another e easy and convenient way to, you know, to, you know, get something going. Uh, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with gas grills. I've cooked on, you know, plenty of gas grills, but, uh, you know, it's just something about that that char that charcoal burning you know it's just there's just something uh that that weber gives uh that's that i like better than a, a gas grill all right last one i think we have is let me make sure i haven't missed any of them yet yeah, best yeah well, there was only like five right i'm just kidding best way best way to cap ribeye or prepare ribeye cap steaks excuse me yeah i mean um uh Chris, uh, the golf coach, always uh, tells me that he comes in and gets a ribeye cap and he throws it in the sous vide for 120 degrees and then chars it. Uh, there's a lot of different ways. It's basically like a flank steak. Uh, it's very thin cut, so you really don't need a lot of, uh, you know, cooking on it. I would, what I would like, to, what I always do, and I've done this sometimes, uh, I do a black and blue steak, which is you char it really hard on like 500 degrees so basically you're trying to burn it on each side and then uh i do i take a pork belly and cut them up into cubes and just saute the pork belly in the pan for a little bit to where you get some of that pork grease and then take you some fresh blue cheese crumbles and just throw it off in the pan to where that blue cheese melts with that with the bacon fat and then you just pour it on top of the of the charred steak and then slice so it's basically like a you know a black and blue steak so it's a it's a pretty good little uh recipe that i came up with but uh you can do it you can do that on everything as far as the black and blue steak you just gotta make sure if you want to what i i mean when i go to uh, como steakhouse and i ask them to cook my steak 
always ask for Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is charred on the outside and then it's rare in the middle. So you get that real good char flavor, but yet it's still medium rare in the middle. So you need to try a Pittsburgh steak if you've never tried one. I'm going to add one more bonus question before we let you get out of here. If you're throwing sure. thing on the grill, time is not a factor. You're just going out. You have all day to do it. What are you putting on the grill? Oh, man. You know, of course, I would probably say brisket just because uh, it's a kind of a uh, you get to eat on it all day, all, you know, all week kind of thing. But if time is not, mm, man, I man, I, I would probably – Man, I really like that Wagyu Denver uh, Denver cut. It's the bottom flap of the chuck roll, and uh, it's you know it's got some really good marbling. It's got some good fat to it. Uh, I would probably say that Wagyu Denver, or or maybe that uh, that ribeye cap. I mean, that's just man, those are two really solid go tos that I like to go to. So um, probably brisket third, and then the I'd stick with the ribeye cap or the Wagyu Denver cut. Awesome, dude. That was great stuff. We're going to have to make this a uh, at least a semi-regular segment. That's going to be on the listeners as well to uh, continue with your grilling questions. That was great stuff. That beat the hell out of trying to figure out who was reading whose mind. We had one more yeah. question that was, what is the meaning of life? And I think we answered that. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, 200, you know, 300, don't get sick and get out of here. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's uh, that's why you wake up every morning is because you you enjoy life. I mean, you know, and my my thing is with the life situation is if you're not happy in your current life and your current situation, you need to change it because uh, happiness is within and it's going to make you live probably about 10 to 15 to 20 years longer. Words of wisdom from the meat sharp himself, dude. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. That'll wrap up Mailbag Friday for us. We'll be back at it. Colin and I will be doing a Sunday night podcast, I guess, uh, recapping the weekend series, Ole Miss versus Florida, all things there. We'll, uh, well, hopefully, maybe we'll have another Grill Corner next week. I'm interested to see the feedback from the listeners. If you like what you heard today, rate and review the podcast. Like and subscribe to the podcast. I don't think you can like a podcast. I just made that up. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave five stars. We'll have more Grill Corners in the future. That was awesome stuff, dude. I appreciate it. Have a uh, yeah. yeah. We didn't even get yeah. We didn't even get to ribs and stuff. So we get we'll we'll have to get into the ribs and the Boston butts and the and that sort of thing. So we'll have to let the the cat out of the bag on the secret to a really good Boston butt. There we go. Maybe we'll just have that next week. Maybe we won't even need the questions. We'll just we'll we'll get you a topic once a week or so, and then we'll uh we'll, we'll let you just kind of go to town. That was awesome. But uh, I appreciate it as always, dude. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Everybody have a safe and happy Easter weekend. You as well, Greg. I'll talk to you sometime soon. Sounds good, man. As always, I appreciate you. Absolutely. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. More subscriber deals coming. Always appreciate Greg on the show. Everybody be safe traveling this weekend, and we will catch you on Monday.